Thanks for joining us on this week's Real Life Church podcast. We'd love to know if God is using this ministry to bless you in some way. And if you'd like to share your story or know more about getting involved at Real Life Church, you can visit us on our website at livereallife.com today. All right, we're going to go to 1 Samuel this morning. We're continuing our series called For the Win. Hopefully last week's message was an eye-opener for you. I tried to expose deception. It was a brand new message I've never ministered before. Some of this today is going to be brand new as well that the Lord kind of gave me this morning, 1 Samuel chapter 3, beginning with verse number 1, um, says this, Now the boy Samuel ministered to the Lord before Eli, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no widespread revelation. It came to pass at that time, while Eli was lying down in his place, now keep in mind, Eli was the priest, okay, and what he would do is he was responsible for making sure the light didn't go out in the... Uh, fix this, whatever's going on, uh, that the priest, his job was to make sure that the light didn't go out in the tabernacle. It says, lying down in his place, and when his eyes had begun to grow so dim that he could not see, and before the lamp of God went out in the tabernacle of the Lord where the ark of God was, and while Samuel was lying down, now Samuel was a boy here, young boy, Eli was the older, he was the priest, verse uh, um, <clears throat> 4, the Lord said to, called Samuel, and he answered, here I am. So he ran to Eli and said, here I am for you called me. And he said, I did not call you. So there's a misinterpretation here. Samuel's a young man. He don't understand the word of the Lord. He doesn't understand the voice of God. We've all been there. Some of you are in there right now. You don't understand how to figure all that out. And, and uh, God was training Samuel because Samuel would become a prophet that would eventually anoint David, which eventually being the genealogy of Jesus. Come on, somebody. And so, but in this passage, that God starts to speak to Samuel, and he starts to declare things to Samuel. And uh, he starts to get him familiar with his voice. The, the verse I want to focus on is verse 1. It says, And the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no widespread revelation. And when I read this, I used to read this passage very differently. This passage, when I read it, was very different. I always thought that the word rare meant scarcity. But as I started to study this passage today, and today we're going to talk about how to swing the sword. I want to talk to you today about the, the aspect of spiritual warfare. We've talked a lot about the enemy. We've we exposed him on multiple levels. We've talked about the different levels of, of spiritual warfare. Uh, we talked about what is spiritual warfare. And today we need to talk about our offensive weapon. And we need to talk about the sword of the spirit. Well, in 1 Samuel's day, it says that the word was rare... In those days, and there was no widespread revelation. Now, the word rare, again, I thought it meant scarcity. You know what I mean? Like you go up to the, to the, to the buffet line, and there's only two little bourbon chicken pieces left. That's, rare. that's, that's scarcity, right? Um, praise God <laughs> for, for those of us that I don't, I don't do those things anymore. But anyway, <laughs> but hey, praise God. So anyway, rare means this. It doesn't mean scarcity. It means precious. I started to read this, and I, I, I seen it in a different light. It means precious. It means to be esteemed. It means to be honored. He says this. He says, in, in the word of the Lord was precious in those days. The word of the Lord was to be honored in those days. We currently live in a society that is becoming biblically illiterate. The generation that's coming up behind us, is, it's, it's a very uh, un, uh, concerning situation that 2% of the next generation believe in absolute truth. They live from reason, they live from feeling, but there's also a group within that generation that is not just about knowledge, they're about seeing. 
They want to see God move. They want to see, a re, uh, they want to see God in action. Well, in this day of 1 Samuel, the Bible says that the word of God was precious to them. I wonder, how precious is this book to you? I wonder how precious is God's word to you? Because if the word of God is not precious to you, you'll never swing it as a sword. You have to love this book. You know, the B-I-B-L-E, that's the book for me. I stand upon the word of God, the B-I-B-L-E. Come on, somebody. The Bible, the pages, the, the thank God for the technology. Well, that's just what I do. I'm a technology guy. Every once in a while, you just need to grab the pages again. All right? So the pages of God's word, there's something powerful that you can, Bible says, hunger and thirst after righteousness, and you'll be filled. He's talking about the word of God. He said, I sent my word to him. It will not return unto me void. I mean, you think about it. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. The Word is everything in your life. And if you don't know how to handle the Word of God, you will not fight effectively in the day in which we live, spiritually, that is. He says that it was precious. It was to be honored. That means to be set into the highest place of position. That it is to be honored. It says that, that in 1 Samuel 3, it says that it was precious, and there was no widespread revelation. So I started thinking about that, because in the New Testament, revelation means that God pulls the curtain back and you can see what's going on behind it. In other words, it's like uh, uh, Jesus said, who do you say that I am in Matthew chapter 6? Who do men say that I am? And they say, well, some say you're a prophet, some say you're Jeremiah, some say you're, you know, uh, 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 John the Baptist. And so Jesus said, but Peter, who do you say that I am? He said, well, the, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. Here's what Jesus said, flesh and blood has not revealed that to you. The word revealed, it means to pull the curtain back and see what's happening behind it. How many know if you go to the play and they never open the curtain, but all they do is read the book? Come on, they read the script. How many know that's, yeah, that's not revelation? It's when they open the curtain and you can actually see the act. That's what revelation's about. A lot of people in today's society, when it comes to being a Christ follower, does not live in this place. We live with the curtain shut. We get frustrated with God. We don't understand how to get God activating in our life. And we live with the curtain shut. It's because we don't spend enough time with it. Now, let me keep going. I don't want to get stuck there. That word widespread revelation means prophecy. It, it, it literally means this, that there was no publicly known prophet raised up during that time. Now, in this time of 1 Samuel, there was three people that carried the Spirit of God, prophet, priest, and king. Okay, king was high. He would decree. A prophet would be somebody who would be the mouth of God. The priests were the ones that would offer incense in the tabernacle to God. I know I'm giving you a lot this morning, but come on, somebody. Hey, 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 hey. You got to eat this morning. Come on, I'm here to feed you a little bit. I ain't going to give you a little milk toast this morning. I want to give you a little bit of filet. Come on, somebody. All right, praise God. There's some steak people up in here. That's what I'm talking about. Uh, no publicly known prophet raised up to whom the people could apply for counsel. And again, they would go to the prophet to get a word from God. But this, again, this word prophet means a mouthpiece for God. So in other words, the word of God was precious in those days, but it wasn't transferring into the mouth of the people. There was no prophet that was raised up to be a mouthpiece for God during those seasons. There was no word in somebody's mouth, though they valued the precious word of God. And so I want you to understand today that if we're going to swing the sword, there's going to be a few things that we're going to have to get a hold of. Ephesians chapter 6, verse number 17 says this, And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Which is the word of God. Now, Roman soldiers back in the day, when they would fight, they had two types of swords. They had the big Braveheart sword. You guys seen those? Double-handed, big, tall things. That, and they would use those for battle. But there was another type of sword. It was, it was called a Macaria. And it was about that big, and it, it, it kind of had a little hook shape to it. And these were the ones that 
they would get close to the enemy and die right through them. Shoot, there's kids in the room. I forgot. <laughs> Sorry, parents. Figure it out later. All right. So there. <laughs> apologize. It's been difficult. There's some things I wanted to say last week, and I was like, I can't say that. Um, but anyway, so the sword that, that he's referencing here, Paul, is that precious sword of the word of God, that when the enemy gets close, you're learning how to handle this sword. Shama used this sword to guard the lentil patch to protect God's inheritance. Now, he's talking about the word of God, which is the sword of the spirit, which to us needs to become precious and eventually get in our mouth if we want to see breakthrough. So here's what, it, here's what 2 Timothy 3.16 says. Every scripture has been written by the Holy Spirit, the breath of God. That means it's been divinely inspired. Well, I don't know if that's true or not. God worked through infallible man to do that. God took his word, breathed it into the earth, and men penned it. It's what you got right here called your Bible. It says, it will, uh, 2 Timothy, it will empower you, come on, by its instruction and correction, giving you the strength to take the right direction and lead you deeper into the path of godliness. Some folks aren't godly because they don't spend time with the inspired word of God. We live with lawlessness in our life and sin constantly because we don't know what God says about us. Keep moving, verse 17. Then you will be God's servant, fully mature and perfectly prepared to fulfill any assignment God gives you. How many want to be perfectly prepared to fulfill any assignment God gives you? Well, if that's going to happen, you must understand that the word of God is divinely inspired of God. Hebrews 4.12 says this. I'm going to read this in the Amplified Bible. I call this the woman's Bible. I call it the woman's Bible because it's so wordy. I'm kidding. I love you, God. <laughs> Praise God. It's amplified. Amen. Praise God. Just say turn right. You don't have to see. Tell me all the trees you've seen on the way there. Okay. <clears throat> yeah, sorry, dear Lord. Apologize. Hebrews 4.12 says this. For the word, <laughs> for the word, all the husbands are like, dang right. He said it this morning. He didn't say nothing else. That's what he said. Did you hear what he said? You need to slow down, sister. For the word that God speaks, this is God's word, again, this is God's word, the Bible, says this, says that is alive and full of power, come on, making it active, operative, energizing, and effective. It is sharper than any two-edged sword, and that's that word sword, that shorter sword, penetrating to the dividing line of the breath of life, our soul, and the immortal spirit and the joints and marrow of the deepest parts of our nature. This is God's word. This is what it does in us. Exposing and uh, uh, sifting and analyzing and judging, and I believe this is why people don't get in the word, because when they get in the word, it becomes a mirror and it exposes things in our life. It sifts things in our life. And the very thoughts and purposes of the heart. It is an active two-edged sword. So how do we handle this sword? How are we going to get back to the sword of the Spirit being the precious thing in our life? How are we going to handle this sword? How do we use the sword in spiritual warfare? Number one, if I'm going to handle the word, I must know the word. If I'm going to handle the word, I must know the word. This does not come by osmosis. This does not come by you laying it on your head at night in your bed hoping that the words transfer from the pages into your brain. It doesn't happen that way. I used to think that in school when I'd have to take a test. I thought, dear God, if I just put the history book up to my brain, I'd get all the information. It didn't work. 
the devil, listen to me, if, I, if I'm going to handle the word, I must know the word. One thing you must understand, and, 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 and I'm going to expose something this morning, is this. The devil is not scared of the Bible. He's not scared of this at all. Matthew chapter 4, the devil had so much gumption that in Matthew chapter 4, he approaches the word of God, which is Jesus, with the word. That'd be, that'd be like me going up to LeBron and saying, let me show you how to do a crossover. You know, it just doesn't make sense, right? Uh, let, me, let me show you how to do it. It just doesn't, it, it, it's odd. So he approaches, it just lets you know how stupid he is, right? It just lets you know that he's going to approach the word with the word, and he's going to try to twist the word on the, on the person and the personification of the word in Jesus. He's, he's the word in flesh. So if, if we're going to know the word, we have to understand the devil's not afraid of that word, he, or the Bible. He approached um, Jesus with it. But he is afraid and runs from people who know that it is written of God. Jesus, when he was approached with, with the enemy, the Bible says that he was approached with the word, and then he turned around and says, nope, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And by the time he was done, in Matthew chapter 4, with the, with the temptation and the wilderness experience, the enemy fled from him. It wasn't just because he knew the word, it, it, or that he had a sense of it, it was because he knew the word. He knew that it is written of God. And I really believe there's a pandemic in our earth right now. There's a pandemic going on. And it's not a, it's not a sickness that we, we think is going to end the world, but I believe it's in the church. And here's what I'm calling. I'm going to diagnose it today. You ready? Pretend like you're going to the doctor with me. That there's a pandemic on this earth that, has, that, that is bigger than any pandemic we've ever experienced and is known as DBS. Everybody say DBS. DBS stands for Dusty Bible Syndrome. So I just diagnosed a problem in the church called DBS. It affects 50 million people a year. DBS. The side effects. Every time you get a diagnosis, how many know that when they give you something, they're going to give you a side effect of something? The side effects of the DBS syndrome in America is greed, divorce, sickness, depression, loss of hope, fear, loneliness, anxiety, all the side effects of the DBS is, the, is, is those sorts of things. Now, I got a solution for you. Can I prescribe something for you? If you, if you decide that you want to change the DBS, sometimes you, some of you got so much dust on your Bible, it's hard to even lift the front cover, amen. Listen, if you, if you want to change your syndrome, I suggest that you start taking two chapters a day, every day. And over a two-week period, I believe the dusty Bible syndrome will flip and your Bible will no longer be dusty. It will be alive in your heart. So listen today that we must become a people again of the book, not just a people of a Sunday morning. Well, pastor, you probably shouldn't be saying that because people might not come to the church. I'm saying exactly what's going to get people to the church. The word of God is the most important thing that we do in this world. You can't live as a Christian without it. We must become people of the book, not just people of a Sunday 
morning. It must get personal with us. You can't live, listen to me, you can't live on just what I give you on Sunday. It might be filet mignon on Sunday, but listen, if you malnourished Monday through Saturday, you, you're not, it's not going to work. You have to get in it now. You have to know the weapon now. And the word know is not the word of knowledge. It's an experience with it. It's a, it's a God's heart. You open the word, and there's a window and a picture into God's heart, and then God transfers his heart to you, and all of a sudden you know how God thinks. I heard this quote by Charles Spurgeon. It says this, a Bible that's falling apart belongs to somebody who isn't. Come on, somebody. <laughs> Number two. Number two. In a minute. Listen, I'm going to read one verse to you real quick. Second <laughs> Timothy 2.15 says, do your best to present to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. There is power in the word. Number two is this. My authority to handle the word comes from Jesus. My authority to handle the word comes from Jesus. Jesus backs his word. Listen to me, not your opinion. Well, God, I just think it should be done this way. And if your opinion matters, it doesn't matter. Your opinion does not matter to God in the season that we're living in. You can take your opinion to God in prayer, right? Oh, God, this is what I think it should be. He's not going to answer that. Why? Because your opinion is nothing when it comes to the word of God. In other words... He answers his word, not our opinion, not, our, not, 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 not the things that we think of how things should go. He answers prayer through his word. Jesus backs his word. Listen, if you're giving God your opinion, he may not answer that. Why? Because, again, authority is delegated power. God gives us the ability to handle his word through his authority. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 19 and 21 says this, through 21, and this is Jesus, listen, and his incomparable great power for us who believe, that power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him in his right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above, all rule, authority, power, and dominion in every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in one is to come. So in other words, Jesus has been given ultimate authority. Now check it out. It says he's in heavenly realms. Verse number, Ephesians 2, 6 says, and God raised us up. Everybody say, raised me up. He raised me up so I could lie on. I don't know the song, but he, 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 raised, he raised us up. And it says, with Christ. So if Jesus is seated at the highest place of authority, so are me and you. When it comes to our position in Jesus in this earth, we're not of this world, or we're not in this world, or we are, praise God. We're in this world, but we're not of this world. We're in this world, but we're not of this world. So our position in Jesus, when we go to battle with the sword, is coming from a heavenly realm. He says, I've seated you in heavenly places. He says, and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And when we understand that, Luke 10, 19 comes alive in our heart. Behold, I give unto you authority to tread upon serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. All of a sudden, there's a positional, I'll say, cockiness about yourself. Devil, you're below me. You're underneath my feet. You can no longer tempt me. You can no longer uh, lead me astray. You can no longer deceive me because I have ultimate authority over you in Jesus' name. Jesus is over all things. Listen, this is why the world can say Jesus at the end of an end zone. John three sixteen, and nothing happened. 
That's why people in the world can say Jesus and nothing happened. I've watched people. I've watched people at the American Music Awards get up there, three sheets to the wind, talking about, I want to thank God. Oh, do you? You want to thank God you're still alive? Like, they get up there, and they're just half drunk, and they just get up there, oh, gee, I want to give glory to God for all he's done in my life today. You know, that's what, but just because you say, sorry, just because you say the name of Jesus doesn't mean it's going to work for you. Listen to me for just a minute. The name of Jesus works for those that are Christ followers, those that have submitted to the will of God. It's not just a magic wand that we can just kind of throw around. Ask the sons of Sceva in Acts 19. Bible says this, that, 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 G, uh, that Paul had done these awesome miracles, and it says in verse um, uh, 13 that some of the uh, itinerant Jewish exorcists took it upon themselves to call the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits. So the exorcists tried to use the name of Jesus against evil spirits. How I many know there's an issue? Then it says this, saying, we exercise you by the Jesus whom Paul preaches. That's what some of you are doing today. We exercise authority in, in, in the Jesus that Jason preaches. Listen, let me keep going. It says this, also there were seven sons of Sceva, Jewish chief priests who did so, and the evil spirit answered and said this, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who in the world are you? In other words, you're just throwing the name out without any authority. You're throwing the name out without a, a solid relationship with Christ. You're throwing the word out without knowing the word. And so the sons of Sceva, listen to what happened. It says, then the man whom the evil spirit was leaped on them, overpowered them, and prevailed against them, so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. The evil spirit jumped on them, trying to use the name of Jesus. Well, listen, why wouldn't it work for them? They weren't following Christ. They weren't living without sin. They, had, they weren't spending time knowing God's word. They, they were just trying to throw it out there as if it was going to work. No, your authority in Jesus is backed by Jesus because you say yes to God and you work your darndest to live for him and walk in godliness every single day of your life and not live in a place where there's separation between you and God because of sin. No, you live in a place of holiness that allows you to use the name of Jesus in warfare. Number three is this, and I'll close. To handle the word, I have to speak the word. You, you, you first must know the word. You must first understand that your authority comes from Jesus. And finally, to handle the word, you must speak the word. This is the prayer quotient. This is where prayer works. This is where, where God asks us to speak the word. We sang about it this morning. Now, in the New Testament, the New Testament is written in Greek. There's, two, there's, a, there's a few words for the word word. There's the word graphe, which is how the word was set up. There's the word logos, which is the written word of God. You're black and white in, in the Bible. And then there's the word rhema, which is the word spoken word. Those are, those, are, those are different words, meaning different things. Again, logos is the written word, rhema is the spoken word. Rhema, here's what rhema is. Rhema is the specific word of God for a specific situation or moment. Rhema is a specific word of God for a specific situation or, or moment. And I'll show you how this works. Romans 10, 17. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. That's that word rhema. Faith comes through rhema. It doesn't just come through written. It doesn't come through logos. But I will tell you this. If you're ever going to have rhema, you've got to have logos. You've got to have the written word. You've got to read it. You've got to know it. You've got to understand it. Because out of this will come the specific moment that you need a word from God. When we started this church, this was not a good idea. This was birthed out of a time of 40 days of prayer and fasting. I wasn't just going to jump out and try to fight devils 
and, and, and take territory and things like that just, just because it was a good idea. This is what everybody else is doing. That's not what everybody else is doing. And so I decided before we started the church, I didn't even know where to go. I just started a fast. So for 40 days, I fasted. I know it's hard to believe, but I did. 40 days, water, juice, water, juice, water, juice. And um, I got up here to 73 and 741, and that's where the Lord spoke to me about coming to this region. Now, when I see our church, I don't see our church as just a community church. I see our church as a, as a regional church. Here's what I mean by that. So the Lord spoke to me there, and he said, Behold, y'all do a new thing. Shall it not spring forth out of this region? I'll cause rivers to, to flood the desert, and wilderness will be overtaken by the flood of God's Spirit. It's kind of the, the just of it. Well, I had a specific word for a specific moment that allowed me to step in a specific direction. Some of you aren't stepping in specific directions because you don't directions because you don't have a specific word for a specific moment. That's Rhema. When it goes comes to warfare, there's certain things that you just can't just cast the written word out. You have to start to speak the specific word of God. So, I know I'm saying a lot. Pay attention. Re-listen. Rhema is taking the written word of God here and applying this word to a specific situation. So if you're dealing with anxiety today, go to the word where the Bible says God's not giving you a spirit of fear. Go to the word, sir, be anxious of nothing, but by everything, by prayer and supplication. All of a sudden you have a specific scripture or rhema that, will then, that, that, that gets into your heart that will then eventually get into your mouth in prayer. Ephesians 6, 17 again says, take the sword of the spirit. Your words become the sword. Your words become the sword. Now, how many know swords pierce? That's why James says, your word can be blessing or cursing. You ever been around somebody that's just constantly negative? They're using a sword of negativity which creates an atmosphere around them. But whenever you use the sword of God's word, it penetrates the heavenly realms which then creates access to uh, the, the realm of heaven that brings the answers to the earth. So it creates a positive uh, atmosphere. Your words become the sword. Logos is not the sword, it holds the swords. Come on, man, the, uh, I heard a quote like this. The Bible is not the sword of the spirit, it is the armory. In other words, there are thousands of rhema swords in the Bible, and every one of them is a powerful two-edged sword. In other words, there's, this is not the totality of the, this is not the sword. It's every scripture in here becomes a sword for a specific moment. So if you're praying for your children today, stop just kind of reasoning the parenting level. Get into the word, find out a specific word from God, and you start to speak that specific word over your children. Come on, somebody. That's what it means to fight spiritually. You take a word, get it into your heart, and then it comes out of your mouth as a sword in the heavenly realms. Just as the enemy attacks and has very specific strategies and devices, God has very specific counterattacks and counterstrikes against the enemy. Every time I counsel somebody, marriages, single, whoever, my number one question specifically in the marriage category is, how, how much time are you in the Word? How much time do you pray? Because God will give you a strategy He'll give you a strategy. There's a strategy that's going to come for your next move. There's going to be a strategy that's going to come. And listen to me, it's not going to come from your expertise. If you're running a business, oh, I got this, I got this figured out. Your expertise may lead you into destruction. 
But if you have a word from God that leads you into that next phase, all of a sudden, things are going to start to click. It won't be hard for you. You won't be exhausted through this next season because you have a specific word. Listen, just as the enemy has a specific strategies, God has one. For every lie, God has better truth. For every deception, God has a better promise. For every attack, God has a counterattack. Jesus was the master at this. You go to Matthew chapter 4 and read it. You read Matthew 4. That's the scripture. That's our scripture passage for the week, everybody. Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11, you'll get to see how Jesus handled it. Again, he was tempted of the enemy in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. The enemy came to him and he says, it is written. Look, he started here. It is written, logos. And then the specific word was, man shall not live by bread alone. There's the rhema. He spoke it out of his mouth. So he got the logos, it is written, and then he spoke it. And when he spoke it, it becomes a sword in his mouth. And that's what the enemy runs from. So when you're dealing with sickness, what's God say? 1 Peter 2, 24. Well, I don't believe that's ever going to, I don't think God does miracles today. Then guess what? You're going to get exactly what you believe. But if you go to the promise of God that says he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, and you get it on the inside of you, and then you put it as a sword in your mouth, all of a sudden the, the, the thought of the sickness realm is going to dissipate, and God is going to hit. Some of you are hurt from years and years of pain. Somebody has hurt you. Listen to me today. Let's kick the crutches out. Come on, man, and let's stop blaming others because of our pain, and let's go to the Word of God that says, hey, hey, no weapon formed against me will prosper, and I'm going to say it until I cut the head of the enemy off in my life. It's going to become a sword in my mouth, and I'm going to cut it off today in Jesus' name. So here's how I do it, and I'll close with this. Roman soldiers knew this. Their ability to handle the word of God was a life or death situation. Life or death. All their free time as Roman soldiers were spent sharpening their sword. We got a lot of dull swords in the body of Christ. We got a lot of dull swords in the body of Christ. We're taking our cues from the media, TV, entertainment. We're taking our cues from everything but God. You wonder why your swords stall or dull. When you go to fight, it's like, it's like taking a butter knife to cut uh, the piece of chicken or something. It's cut something, something that doesn't work right. So you, it's like your prayers are like a butter knife in the spirit. God doesn't want your prayers to be like a butter knife. Come on, somebody. He wants your prayers to be like a sword that comes in and chops and cuts and moves and takes back territory. I'm reminded of going to Peru, and this is the picture I get. You stand in front of a whole bunch of, of, of the jungle, and there's no path. There's no path. And the natives are like, we're going to go into the jungle. And I'm like, huh, we going with you? But they'll say things like this. They'll say, hold on, hold on one second. We'll, we'll, get, this, we'll get this fixed. And you guys can go with us in the jungle because there's jaguars over in that jungle. So they would tell us, and they would start in front of us. There was no path. It was just jungle. All of a sudden, these five or six guys from, from, the, from the native village, they would take their machetes, and they would start to chop down trees. And they would start to chop down they'd start to shoot they would start to chop down the greenery they'd start to cut the jungle out and what they was doing was creating a path some of you that's what you see right now you see an impossible situation with no path all you have to do is get to God's word 
take the word and let it become a sword of the spirit to where now you're saying God's word. No weapon formed against me will prosper. I'm the overcomer, I'm the head, I'm not the tail. God loves me, he died for me, he bled for me. I once was a sinner, but now I'm saved. He set me free from my trespasses and sin. He, he blotted out the handwriting of the wall against me. I'm no longer depressed, but I'm healed in Jesus' name. I'm no emotionally stronger, I'm emotionally stronger. All of a sudden you start quoting the word and it creates a pathway for you to walk in and you take territory that way. It's time for the church to sharpen its sword. James 4, 7 says, submit to God, resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. How's that gonna happen? Ecclesiastes 10, 10 says, using a dull sword requires great strength. Some of you are so exhausted from fighting a natural battle, it's because your sword is dull. Ecclesiastes says, using a dull sword requires great strength. I gotta do it in my own strength. And it says, so sharpen the blade. Come on, church. Let's be a church in 2020 that's not stuck on what's going on. Let's sharpen the blade. Let's go to another realm in this year. God's not done with 2020. That's the word God gave me at the beginning of the year, that he's not done and he's going to rescue people in 2020. That's the sword he gave me. Now listen. It may not be this current situation that I thought it was going to be in. But I'll tell you what. The sword works in darkness. The sword works in every situation. So what do we do? We take that word right now when everybody's panicking and freaking out and say, God's not done. God's not done. This is a year of rescue. The church is being realigned. He's sifting the church. He's getting the church back to priority. Why? Because at the end of the day, it's a year of rescue. He's gonna rescue more people than ever. He's sharpening our swords. And when we start to pray, you know what's gonna happen? The harvest, the harvest is going to come in in this season. I heard the Lord in Joel, and I'll close with this. I know I've said that five times. Joel said this, swing the sickle for the harvest is ready. We don't swing the sickle with just having snow cones and a cool popcorn party. We swing the sickle in the spirit of God, which opens the gates for the harvest to have an opportunity to come in. So we start swinging, oh God, here we are, we're leading the way like the Peruvians and we're chopping and behind us comes lost people. And lost people start coming and they start giving their heart to Jesus and their lives are transformed. Today, where are you? Just close your eyes where you're at. This morning, have you been operating with a dull sword? Has media become your God? Is the opinion of man become your God in this season? Where's your specific word from God? I wanna encourage you today. The specific word of God needs to enter into your mouth for every situation. So if you're in here today and you say, Jason, I've been resisting, I haven't been resisting the devil, I've been resisting God. And you're away from God. You don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior today. And today I want you to know we prayed for you and we made a path for you to come home. We worked really hard praying in this moment for those of you that need to come home. Maybe you're backslidden away from God and you need to come back to Jesus. Maybe today you, you just need God to come and do something major in your life. We wanna pray for you today. We created a path for this to happen today. So if you're in this place, you say, Pastor, I need Jesus to be the Lord of my life today. I need to come home. Maybe there's some things in your life that's plaguing you right now and you need Jesus to interact with you. If you're in this place today, will you do me a favor, just raise up your hand. I wanna know who I'm praying for. I'm praying for you today, that today would be a day that you'd come home 
to Jesus. Say yes to God. Yes to God. Yes to God. Perfect. So if I have a church that's filled with people that are right with God, we should not have any problem reaching the lost. Or you're deceived. I'm right with God, Jason. Think about it. I want you to think about it. I want you to pray about it this week. Are you right with God? Is your sword dull? If it is, you need to make a decision this week to say yes to him and come back to him. Make him the Lord of your life. Begin the process of what it means to fight. So I wanna pray for you today, church. Let's all stand this morning. No, don't stand, sit. That transition always bothers me. Let's just pray. Father, we thank you in Jesus' name for the power of the Holy Spirit today working through the word of God. And today, Lord, I thank you for those that are in here, that, Lord, that we would sharpen our sword, that we would not, want, not give attention to the wrong sword in this season. We take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. We get it into our hearts, get it into our mouth, create a pathway for the things that you wanna do through us and in us. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, give the Lord a big hand clap for his word. It's precious. Thanks again for listening to our podcast. Be sure to connect with us on social media, the RLC app, and online at livereallife.com.